One of my favorite books is John Piper's little book, The Passion of Jesus Christ. The subtitle of the book is 50 Reasons Why He Came to Die. 50 Reasons Why He Came to Die. Another book I like is written by Steve Mathewson. It is called Reason. The subtitle of that book is 50 Reasons Why the Resurrection Changed Everything. And Matthew does say in his book that he was inspired by John Piper's uh, book uh, on, the, on the cross. And so he decided to write one on the re- resurrection. The existence of these two books uh, underlines something very important which I hope is familiar to us. Which is that there is a lot of excellent teaching and material and books on the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Loads of them. But sadly, I have never seen a book on the burial of Jesus. I have yet to come across one on the 50 reasons for the burial of Jesus. And of course, that is strange, isn't it? Because all the four Gospels give us detailed accounts of the burial of Jesus. The Bible, in fact, is very clear that Jesus died, really died, and was buried for three days. The Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 lists the burial of Jesus, his burial, as part of the essential gospel, the things of first importance. So today, I thought as we are going through Mark, we should ask this important question. Why was Jesus buried and preserved in the tomb for three days? And what does the burial of Jesus mean for how we live today? Uh, perhaps you pondered those questions and uh, I'm happy to have a chat with you afterwards. But I thought we asked that question because, of course, we are in Mark chapter 15, verse 42 to verse 47. We've been going through the Bible verse by verse and we've come to this question now. Here in these verses we have Mark's faithful recording of the burial and preservation of our Lord Jesus in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And as I thought about this passage, I thought, what is this passage really, what is it really trying to teach us? I think what it's teaching us is this important truth. It teaches us that God buried and preserved the dead body of Jesus to give us new life. Why was Jesus buried? Well, the answer is God buried our... By the way, I have a problem with how to say the word burial. I Zambia, and I say burial, burial, you know. Uh, I, I trust you, excuse me. So if I switch between the two, I'm trying to figure out right here and right now how to say it, right? So I think the truth is, that from this passage though, that aside, is that God preserved the dead body of Jesus to give us life. That's what the burial of Christ is about. If you like, God arranged for Jesus to be buried and preserved safely in the tomb of Joseph for three days in order to make sure Jesus stayed decisively under the power of death. And then through staying decisively under the power of death, rise to defeat death in order to give us life with God. So that's what we're going to unpack from this passage today. Look with me at verse 42 of Mark 15. It is late afternoon on Good Friday, as you know, the day uh, of the preparation for the Sabbath. Jesus has died on Golgotha. That's why we left him last week and the week before. As Jesus hangs dead on the cross, Mark tells us that a Pharisee 
has come to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate with a strange request. Let's read verse 42 to verse 43. And when evening had come, since or late in the afternoon, since it was a day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, that is the Sanhedrin, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, this is the first time we are meeting Joseph of Arimathea. He's from the Judean town of Arimathea. He's wealthy, he's very rich, he's respected in Jerusalem, and is a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council at this time. And Joseph has come to Pilate and is in effect saying to Pilate, I need the body of Jesus to bury him in my tomb. And I think he's probably said to Pilate, we need to bury Jesus now because our law says he must be buried on the same day. That's what Deuteronomy 21 verse 22 tells us. Those who die um, on the tree uh, like this should be buried on the same day. Now, as we think about Joseph appearing before Pilate, this is out of the blue, isn't it? Right? If this is a film, right, we would be like shaking our heads. Where does he come from? Where is this character coming from? Where is the director up to? Is he in the wrong movie? Right? Because we have not gotten any sense until now that there's a man called Joseph. Right? We haven't had that sense. Who's somehow with Jesus or is sympathetic to Jesus. So we are a bit shocked when we see Joseph here. But it's not a movie, right? It is history. And Mark, on purpose, has not given us any hint uh, about this man, Joseph. And for whatever reason. Uh, and he now introduces him here. And, uh, but as he introduces him, he makes it clear that Joseph is a spiritual seeker. Right? He has been waiting for the kingdom of God. If you like... Joseph, God has placed within Joseph of Arimathea a desire to search for the kingdom of God. And immediately when we heard that phrase, the kingdom of God, we remember from Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, that Jesus entered the world stage proclaiming the kingdom of God. The Kairos moment is here. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we know that the kingdom of God that Joseph of Arimathea is searching for has arrived, wrapped in the human skin of Jesus. Jesus is God our King, living and walking among us. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has made a personal appearance. So Joseph, what Joseph has been searching for has come in Jesus. And Matthew, Levi, one of the apostles who would be aware of this event, says in his gospel that Joseph is already a follower of Jesus. That's what we read in Mark about Joseph of Arimathea. The apostle John is always good at clarifying things for us even better. And he tells us, he gives us another critical piece of information about Joseph um, of Arimathea. In John's gospel, we read this in John 19 verse 38. John says this of his, his account. He says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. 
and Pilate gave him permission. The proper rendering of that word, that, that, that text in, uh, in John, is that John, is that Joseph, in fact, was a secret follower of Jesus. In other words, he followed Jesus, he knew Jesus about Jesus, he believed in Jesus, but he had not yet publicly come out and declared his faith. He had not yet, we might say, fully conformed to what Jesus preaches about what it means to be a true follower. One who is not ashamed of him. One who is willing to take up the cross and follow him. So Joseph has been following Jesus, but has not, we might say, yet fully trusted in him. Certainly not fully trusted him enough to be ashamed, to, well, to, take away, to, to not be ashamed of Jesus. Joseph, you see, like many people, is still, before this time, caught up between two worlds. He wants to follow Jesus, but he's worried, perhaps, that he may lose his money. Perhaps he was worried of, of losing friends, losing his seat on the council. And maybe you are in the same position today. You know that Jesus is the one you have been searching for. You have heard it, perhaps, from your parents. You've heard the sermons preached here. And you, have, you know that Jesus died for your sins. You understand that. You understand that you are a sinner. And you even believe that Jesus is your only hope. You've come to that understanding. You know only his death can give you life with God. You believe all this. But there is a problem. If you are honest with yourself, you are struggling to surrender to Jesus. Because it may cost you something. Something that you know perhaps for yourself. Perhaps there is a relationship that you are afraid of losing if you truly surrender to Jesus. Or maybe you're worried about how it will look, you trusting in Jesus, with close friends that you have. They may treat you funny. For whatever reason, you are holding back. You are weighing the cost, certainly. And I think that's a good thing, actually, weighing the cost. Jesus says that we must count the cost of following him. We must do a proper stock check and come to Jesus knowing that it's going to cost us. Even as much as coming to Jesus has a lot of benefits, we inherit God himself. But it is costly. Following Jesus, you see, is not simply an add-on to our lives. Things you do and then Jesus is on top. It's a complete takeover. And that is hard, isn't it? You see, when you are born again, God gives you a new heart that changes who you now live for. You stop living for yourself. You start living for Jesus alone. And that is scary. And I think we don't emphasize that enough to people. It is a big change being a follower of Jesus. And Joseph, for a while, it seems, was afraid of it. So instead of truly following Jesus, he chose the path of least resistance. He chose to be, for a while, to be ashamed of Jesus. He was following Jesus, but only on his own terms. He had not come out for Jesus. He had not nailed his colors to the mast. And as I said, the truth is that he had not truly, really, been a true follower of Jesus as Mark has explained. And that perhaps explains why Mark hasn't introduced him as a disciple, but rather as a seeker. Because Joseph until now, has not been the template of Mark 8, verse 34. Laying down your life, taking up the cross, 
and following Jesus. He has been half-hearted like Judas. And to a degree, half-hearted like the disciples who have scattered away. But now the grace of God has worked in the life of Joseph. Over in fear. And he has come out now for Jesus. And he's here, we are told, isn't it? He? He's taking courage, going to Pilate, saying, I stand with Jesus. And I just want to encourage you that if you claim to follow Jesus, you need to do the same. You need to surrender your life to Jesus as his follower. Not simply believing some facts about Jesus, but truly surrendering to him. True repentance. Turning back for, on the life of sin and putting your full complete trust in Jesus. That's what it means to be converted. It's having the right knowledge about Jesus. Believing on Jesus and putting your, all your eggs in the Jesus basket. Surrendering to him. And until you do that, you are not truly a Christian. You need to move beyond just believing Jesus died for you. You need to be a true follower who surrenders their whole life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you don't have to worry about the consequences. If you surrender to Jesus, God will be with you just as he was with Joseph over Arimathea. Mark says here, doesn't he, Joseph found new courage and energy to stand for Jesus before Pilate. I love the phrase he uses there in verse 43. He says, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Before now, Joseph was a wimp. But now he's standing firm as a lion. Joseph has energy for Jesus. And he goes, if you like, to the number 10 of um, of Israel, the 10 Downing Street of Israel, and he asks for the body of Jesus. It is a huge risk for a man who has been hiding in the banker. We might call him today, perhaps Donald Trump might call him hiding Joe, right? But he's now out and he's saying to Pilate, I support the criminal convict, Jesus. The power of God, you see, has moved in the heart of Joseph. This is what the grace of God does, you see. When God touches our lives, he gives us new courage to stand firm for Jesus, even in difficult circumstances. Oh, how I pray that we would see a Joseph in our time. The church of God in this land has, has a greater need for a Joseph than at any time in history. Someone who stands for Jesus in these dark days we are living in. Somebody who the grace of God has worked in their lives and is able to stand as bold as a lion. To speak truth to justice. And it might be just as Joseph was secretly being raised up by God for this moment. Uh, you might be that person who God has been working in your life uh, for the moment we are facing as a nation at this moment. So Joseph is before Pilate. We are all expecting Pilate to say no, right? It's a simple answer. We're expecting Pilate to say no. Because you see, the Romans do not allow anyone crucified to have a family burial. That's just Roman practice. If you are a convicted criminal, you are now a property of the state. And Jesus had been declared a convicted criminal. And so he should be left really hanging there and the vouchers should feast on his flesh and eventually he should be taken down and buried in an unmarked grave. That's what... So Joseph has come to Pilate with, you might say, little hope. But to Joseph's surprise and ours, 
Pilate is more concerned with the news that Jesus is already dead. It's more concerned that Jesus is already dead because you see, it takes normally two to three days to die on a cross. But Jesus has willingly laid down his life of his own choosing after six hours. And I suspect because Jesus has suffered quite heavily, he's had Gethsemane, and of course, he's had that scourging. And now, when he was on that cross, he decided to lay down his life for six hours because, of course, Jesus chose to die on Good Friday. Is the Passover lamb that had been sacrificed. Everything arranged by God as we looked at that passage when we looked at Mark chapter 14, verse 1 to 2. Now, so, Jesus has died just after six hours. And this passes Pilate. So Pilate calls in his man, the centurion, the executioner in charge. He wants to confirm that Jesus has really died. Let's look at verse 44 to verse 45. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. We read in verse 44. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. So Joseph now has the official clearance from Pilate. I can picture him rushing up that hill of Golgotha. He is carrying with him an expensive linen clothing. And I imagine Joseph as a rich man um, as a few loyal servants with him. This is a big job. He's going to need all the help he can buy. And I'm sure he's brought people with him. And as Joseph arrives there on the hill of Golgotha, uh, in other accounts, particularly in the account of John, we are told that Nicodemus uh, his old colleague from the council has also shown up. And we might say, Nico has brought with him 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes to perfume the body of Jesus. And so together, perhaps with some support from the servants, they quickly take the body down from the cross. They wrap it in this linen cloth along with the spices. And then they take the body to a nearby tomb. The tomb that is owned by Joseph of Arimathea. And they put the body inside, and then they roll a heavy stone around to shut the tomb. And here is how Mark summarizes what we've just said in verse 46 to verse 47. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, a new tomb. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was led. So our Lord Jesus is now dead and buried in that tomb of Joseph. And the tomb has been sealed with a heavy round stone to keep wild animals from devouring the corpse. As a convict, as I said, he should have been buried in the ground in an unmarked grave. But God has intervened remarkably to ensure the corpse of his son is buried in a tomb. Why has God done this? Well, God has done this to fulfill the promise he made in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. 700 years before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read this in Isaiah 53, verse 8 to verse 9. It says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. 
And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Rich man, singular, by the way. In his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. You see, what Mark and Isaiah are telling us is that Jesus really died. He didn't just get on the cross and swim off it like Islam teaches. Jesus really died. His lungs stopped breathing. The heart stopped beating. His brain flatlined beyond doubt. In that moment of death, Jesus' death was final. The burial of Jesus in that tomb by Joseph of Arimathea is telling us that our Lord Jesus, from the womb to the tomb, he lived as one of us. He lived and really died. But the Bible is also telling us an impo- another important truth, a big truth. And it is this, that it is God who made all the funeral arrangements for the burial of his son, Jesus. Because God, of course, had already foretold in Isaiah 53, verse 89. God ensured that the corpse of Jesus was buried safely in the tomb, preserved, kept from the wild vouchers, kept from the theft of the grave diggers, through sovereignly working through Joseph of Arimathea. But there is more to it than just Jesus being preserved from the outside. Jesus, while he was in the tomb, was also preserved from inside. Because you see, Peter, preaching his first sermon in Acts, tells us that God kept the corpse of Jesus from decay. Acts chapter 2, verse 29, verse 31, if you skip over there. Acts 2, verse 29 to 31 says this. Peter is preaching, and he says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both, he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh See corruption. Peter is saying that God stopped the corpse of Jesus from decay. His flesh did not see corruption. How did God keep the body of Jesus fresh, we might say? Well, he did it through the divine nature of Jesus. Everybody decays, but the body of Jesus did not disintegrate. And it was kept through the divine nature of Jesus. As we have learned in Mark already, Jesus, remember, is one person with two natures. Jesus has a divine nature, has a human nature. Jesus is 100% God, he's 100% man in every way, right? He's 100% man in every way. But Jesus also has a divine nature, he's 100% God. And the two natures make one person. Right? Jesus is not two people. Jesus is one person who is 100% God and 100% man. Not half God, half man. Rather, 100% God and 100% man. Now, when Jesus died, the human spirit of Jesus was disconnected from his human body. 
and went back to God. Remember when he, when he died, he said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. That is what human death is, isn't it? When you die, if you're trusting in Jesus, your spirit, the immortal part of you, will go to be with God when you die. But your body will stay on earth and decompose, rot away. If you do not trust in Jesus, when you die, your spirit goes to hell. And your human body remains on earth to decompose while you suffer eternally in hell. That's what happens when we die. All human death disconnects the human body from the human spirit. And that is why Jesus, as I said, when he died, he committed his spirit back to the Father. But what happened to the divine nature of Jesus? Well, the divine nature of Jesus, the part of Jesus that is fully God, did not leave the dead body of Jesus. It remained attached to the corpse of Jesus. It is so important that we understand that the identity of Jesus did not change from the womb to the tomb. That corpse in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb is still 100% God and 100% man. Because if it isn't, then Jesus cannot be our Savior. Just as Jesus was 100% God and 100% man in the womb of Mary from conception, he was fully God and fully man as a corpse. Jesus is eternally the God-man. Not even death could separate the two natures of Jesus. So as the corpse of Jesus lay in the tomb, the divine nature preserved it from rotting away. And of course we then have to ask the question, isn't it? Why did God go to this trouble of burying Jesus and preserving the corpse for three days? And why for three days and we're just keeping him there? Why just give it a day? Well, as I've already said, God did this to ensure that Jesus stayed decisively under the power of death and then rise from death to defeat it for us. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 2. If you turn there, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, it says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The actor Woody Allen speaks for everyone when he says, it's not that I am, it's not that I am afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. We fear death, don't we? But sadly, our physical death is just the beginning. It's much worse than that. The Bible says all of us are already dead. The, the physical death is a symptom of a deeper death in all of us. All of us are spiritually dead, cut off from the life of God. You see, when sin entered our world in Eden, death followed closely behind. And so all of us enter this world cut off spiritually from the life of God. We are all zombies, we might say. Spiritual zombies. A bit like that film, World War Z, isn't it? We are all dead people walking. 
And in this zombie, spiritual zombie state, we cannot escape it. We cannot escape from being dead. Dead people cannot resurrect themselves. Our only hope is that we need God to become a man like us and die physically alongside us and then rise from death with us so that we can share in his spiritual life. And this is what the burial of Jesus is about. Jesus is God in human skin who has died, not just died, but stayed under the power of death in that tomb for three days, if you like, surrendered to it, then conquered death, right? Because unlike us, Jesus did not stay in the tomb. God preserved Jesus for those three days. And then Jesus raised Jesus. The Bible attributes the fact that Jesus raised himself because he's God the Son. Remember the divine nature. But also God the Father raised Jesus. And the Bible also says the Spirit of God raised Jesus. In other words, it was a Trinitarian affair. After three days, Jesus broke the power of death. That hanged over us. He broke it as our second Adam. And he did that so that anyone who trusts in Jesus can have life with God. And so we read from 1 John chapter 15, 1 John 5, sorry, verse 11 to verse 12. 1 John 5, verse 11 to 12, it says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. When John says eternal life, it doesn't just mean life without end. It means sharing with the eternal God, being in the presence of God. To have life with God in Jesus means you are welcomed into his heaven. You are seated alongside him. You are in God and God is in you. God is now your very life. Beloved, this is why Jesus died and was preserved in, the, in, in that tomb. He did it so that by his physical burial, he can bury your spiritual separation from God forever. He did it so that you can say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? He did it so that you could, confer, you could enjoy those words of Jesus when he said, because I live, you shall also live. He did it to abolish spiritual death and give you life and immortality in the gospel. He did it to move you from the realm of death into the reign of life. God preserved the corpse of Jesus to, in order for, for Jesus to live under death and defeat death. We might say the burial of Jesus is the burial of our spiritual death. We might borrow from Owen and say the, bur- the burial of death in the burial of Jesus Christ. Jesus did that. He was buried to give us life. And so then, as we understand this truth, how should we respond to it? Well, just a few uh, applications as I come to a close. How should we respond to this wonderful truth? Well, uh, that Jesus was buried to give us life. Well, first of all, let let it remind you just how marvelous the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is. Beloved, look how God sovereignly and silently worked through Joe, we might say, to preserve Jesus. 
Look how he gave Joseph courage and protected him before Pilate. Look how God proved true to his word. He kept his promise. The promise he gave the prophet Isaiah. God honored his son with a wonderful barrier. Our God is a God who keeps his promises. Everything he has promised in his word, he will do. So let us praise and worship God for this. Secondly, let the burial of Jesus remind you just how much Jesus loves you. Let it remind you of how wonderful Jesus is, how much he loves you. Look at how Jesus allowed himself to stay under the power of death for you. Look at how Jesus willingly allowed himself to be humiliated to the very end for us. For three days, our eternal God stayed in a dark tomb for us. The creator who made the world, the one who is the author of life, chose the shame of a tomb. He chose to borrow Joseph's tomb for his throne, for his home. I wonder what the angels thought as their creator was being wrapped in that linen cloth by Joseph. I wonder what Gabriel and Micah thought as they saw Jesus laid on a cold stone without a pillow. The one who even in that very moment could have transformed the tomb into the greatest palace in the world. The world had ever seen. And yet our Lord Jesus Christ did not. He embraced the humiliation of the tomb. The tomb, beloved, is the depth of his humiliation. And we see there that even in death, our Lord Jesus, remember, will remain fully God, willingly submitted to the will of his Father. Why did Jesus do this for us? Grace, beloved, grace. We are not worthy to deserve such a great Savior. Jesus entered and stayed in that dark tomb for three days because he loves you. He was buried in the tomb to bury death for you, to bring you to himself. Oh, thank you, Jesus, we should say, isn't it? Thank you for your love and kindness, which knows no boundary. For suffering humiliation, for me, each of us should say, for suffering humiliation for me to the very end. And so it should produce in us worship of Jesus. And finally, let us allow this wonderful burial of Jesus to comfort us every day. To comfort us, especially when we go through a situation which make us feel that all hope is completely lost. You know, there are situations in life when it seems like the lights have gone out. There are situations in life when we feel like we are in a dark tomb. When we feel that the light of God seems absent. And perhaps as you sit here this morning, you may be in that situation. Are you in a lifeless situation? It might be a lifeless relationship that has gone terribly wrong. It might just be like joy has completely evaporated. Whatever situation you're in, you cannot see light at the end of the tunnel. 
You are in some situation and you are crying out to God, Lord, I cannot take it anymore. This is too difficult for me to handle. I have nothing more to give. I am just like Jesus in that dead tomb. Humanly speaking, helpless. Oh, beloved, and that's where you should cast your eyes on it this morning. Take a closer look at the corpse of Jesus lying there in that tomb for us for three days. It is all dark in there. There is no hope. From the outside, everything seems like a tragedy. It seems God has abandoned his Messiah. Jesus, that corpse of Jesus is lying there, lifeless and helpless. But you know better, don't you? As we've been looking at this this morning, you know better. You know that it is in that dark moment God was busy at work. You know that he has been brought there actually by God. God arranged Jesus to be in a helpless situation. You know that God has taken care of Jesus being there. And you know that the one who is lying in that dark tomb is the Lord of glory. And you know that even in that tomb, God never abandoned his son to corruption. He was silently preserving his body until Jesus rose again. Oh, beloved, if you're trusting in Jesus, the same is true for your lifeless situation today. God is not asleep, beloved. Yes, it looks dark inside, but he's still with you. And if you look closely, you see that God is even now at work in your life. Even now, he's still preserving you through your situation. And that's how we as a church in this country, as we live in a dark land, should also understand the same way. As we look around the country, it looks dark out there. But even now, God is preserving his remnant. Even now, God is at work in this dark land. And the same is true for you individually. He's preserving you. He's strengthening you in your situation. Not because you deserve it. Not because we as a church deserve it, right? But because God has called us to himself by his grace. So this morning, trust God with your lifeless situation. Trust him as Jesus trusted him. Trust the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The wonderful burial of Jesus reminds us that God preserved his dead son. And he did it in order that we may live under his care and goodness. In Jesus Christ. Amen.